All right, good to see you tonight. We are in 2 Kings chapter 8. We're going to begin at verse 1. We're only going to cover a few verses here. Tonight, just the, the one story. We'll save the next one for, for next time. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of, her, of the Philistines seven years. Now we know her household was at least her husband and son. May have been some others that they had taken along as well. But all that Elisha does, he comes and he says to the woman, this is the word that she got, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. So it did not matter where she went. She just had to get out of Israel. Stay wherever you can. So it was up to her. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Now, it doesn't get into any of the ins and outs of why the famine is coming, or what, uh, what it's, what God had, why God is sending it to them. We know why God has sent famines to Israel before. It's their rebellion. It's their idolatry. And we know that this nation is still engrossed in all these things. So it has to do with something with that. That's not really the part of the story that matters as far as what's being recorded here. It is the woman and that she is given a command by Elisha to leave. Now, things have been going pretty good for her, probably, anyway, you would think that. But he says, you need to pick up you and your household and you need to go and you need to get out of here. Go to, a, go to another place because apparently the famine is just going to be in Israel. So go to another spot and wherever you can, wherever you can find a place to go, wherever you can, you're going to be there for seven years. So you need to find a place, you know, you can establish yourself, make a living, do some things. And so they did that. And he didn't say that he would give them a word to come back. He said it's going to be for seven years. So they counted for seven years. And would come back after that, on their, basically on their own. But the woman rose, did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines. So the Philistines is where she picked for seven years. It's nice to see that this woman does not question a thing that she is told by the man of God. Can you imagine that somebody, not God coming in with an angel, not God coming in the presence of Jesus, but a man of God, a prophet, comes to your house, knocks on your door and says, hey, get out. How would we, how would we respond to that? What would, would we do? The woman doesn't question the word from Elijah, Elisha. She just obeys it. There was power and truth to Elisha's word. So she knew up to this point that when Elisha spoke something, he, um, it, it usually came true. There was power there. There was truth. They haven't found anything false about it yet. Now, he does not say... A thus says the Lord. Most of the time he doesn't. He says, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore it will come upon the land for seven years. So that's all he says to her. It seems like he's given her the inside scoop, almost like insider trading. Look, it's going to come upon the whole rest of the land. I, I want you to know about this. I want you to get the heads up. And I want you to get out of town. So the woman arose, did according to the saying of the man of God. She had such respect from the past interactions here uh, with all the things that had gone on and she drew off of those and obeyed. We saw other warnings that would come. Pharaoh had a dream concerning a famine. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. 
and Joseph was the one who was brought in to do that. Joseph and Mary were told to flee to Egypt because of what was going to be transpiring there in the, in the, the land of Judah. And they obeyed it. Pharaoh obeyed according to the dream. So sometimes people get a warning from God and they respond properly. Not always, though, did it happen that way. Some of the other promises we see in the Word of God was Abraham was told to leave his home. Abraham, get up, leave your land, leave your family, go to a land that I'm going to show you. Jeroboam was given a promise to continue with God. If you continue with me, I will make your house an enduring nation just like I did with David. He didn't listen to that one. The rich young ruler, go sell all you have and follow me, Jesus said to him. He didn't do it. So he walked away sad. That didn't uh, work out quite so well for him. So I put this in your outline for you. Today, how many would have to judge it or pray about it before they would go? And you see, in this, in this day today, if a prophet came up to a, a woman like this, knocked on her door and says, leave, famine's coming, well, I'll pray about that for a little while. Can you see that happening? Uh, well, let me take that word that you gave me, appreciate that word, I'm going to go and judge it. You know? <laughs> we don't just have that, that, that response there. That's why it's good... Uh, to have that connection. She had that connection with Elisha. Elisha was able to sow some things in her. When the word came, she was ready to respond. Sometimes we don't always look at this, but when other people can sow some things into us, it helps us to be able to respond to them when they get something like this for us. Well, uh, when the time's up, you say that uh, seven years is done. So the woman rose, did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her asshole and dwelt in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Then she comes back. So when the time is up, the woman returns. She comes on back. Uh, she didn't wait for a word from the prophet. He's probably not going out to the, to the land of the Philistines, but she didn't wait for that. She counted for seven years. Famine's supposed to be over. And then she came on in, uh, anticipating that famine would be over. I'm sure that we don't have... She didn't give it a year. Well, let's just give it a year, let some more crops come in, make sure that it's going to work. At the end of seven years, she comes back. Well, that's what the Word of God was. It's going to last for seven years. And so she comes back while the famine is technically still going on. But we're going to start a new season now, new planting season, and this one's going to work. All she has is, this is what God said. So no word of where to go. We, we mentioned that to him. And uh, no word to return. She just paid attention. I'll tell you what, don't you wish people could pay attention more to the things that you say? Have you ever said something that gave everybody every bit of information that, you, that they needed and then they ask you questions that you already answered if they just would have listened to you? Ain't that fun? We just don't pay attention anymore, it seems. But she did. She heard what, what Elisha said and she listened to it. He didn't have to repeat himself and he had to go and send a refresher on that word. How many times did Jesus have to repeat himself with his disciples? Some things he repeated over and over and they still didn't get it. How often does God have to repeat things to us? How often do we have to be repeated to? Or can God just say something one time? The more we learn to practice this with the people that are around us, the more we'll get in practice when God tells us. When people tell us things, let's get in the habit of hearing it one time, paying attention to it one time, and that's it. Some of the things we see in the Word of God, Abraham was told and he left home. Now he had to be uh, restarted a couple of times. But he did a restart. Pharaoh was given solutions, which he followed with, the, with Joseph. He didn't have to be told twice. But Jeroboam, he distrusted the word that God had spoken to him. He didn't believe it. 
They believed other things. Joseph and Mary are told that those who sought the child's life are dead. They're over there in Egypt. They, they fled there because the, the word came, people are going to try and kill them. So they went there, and then after two years, well, come on back. And so they listened to that word, and it came on back. The rich young ruler, he went away, he didn't listen. It seems most times we must give up something now to gain something else in the future. And this is a lot of times when God calls on us and he says, hey, I need you to do that. I need you to leave your country and go to a place I'm going to show you. I need you to leave this in order to get this. But you have to leave this. You have to let this part go. The rich young ruler, I need you to leave your riches and then you're going to have this. That was uh, not something that he wanted to do. Pharaoh, I need you to leave this in order to have this. And he was ready to do it. Jeroboam, I need you to do this so that you will have this. And well, he's not going to do it. Some people, they get that uh, promise from God. Do this and I'll come through for you. And not everybody's ready to do it. I put this in your outline for you. It seems most times we must give up something now to gain something else in the future. It seems we must give up something now to gain something else in the future. But not everybody's ready to give up. Sometimes we're, we're, we're hanging on to those, those things. I want to hold on to doing this. And a lot of times when we, we're in this, we're thinking money, we're thinking stuff. But it can be more than money and it can be more than stuff. Sometimes God wants us to give up on a habit. Maybe we have a habit of being late all the time. And so God wants us to give that up. And so he says, I need you to let that go and begin to go in this direction. And for some people, that's a big, a big deal. For, for other people, God's just dealing with them, maybe about keeping their car clean. Now, some people keep their car perfectly clean. Other people, it's a, it's a challenge. But if God deals with you and says, I need you to do this, would we be able to give it up? Because, you know, it takes a little bit of work to, to get that thing to be cleaned up all the time. Whatever it might be, it's not always money. Just get that in mind. Sometimes God's going to call on us to do something else. With this particular woman, I need you to leave. He didn't tell her to sell her house. told her to leave it. Leave here and go over to another place for seven years. Can you imagine if somebody told you to move out of your house for seven years? Just lock it up. Go away for seven years. What are you thinking about as far as that house is concerned? Well... How's it going to do for... I mean, what if people come over here and do something to it? What if something happens to this this thing? You you begin to wonder about these. But she didn't wonder. She just locked it up. I imagine she locked it up. And took off. Maybe they didn't have quite the, the locks that are there. Boy, that would make it even more challenging, wouldn't it? But when God calls us to give something up, when God comes to us and says, look, I need you to leave the land that you're in. I need you to quit this habit that you've got. I need you to give up this money or sow this into someone. I need you to, and he's he's asking us specifically, I need you to give something up in order for you to get something different back. I need you to give something up. There's a couple of reactions, and I wrote these in your outline here for you. First off, one, one reaction that people do is they get angry. If God asks them to give something up, they get angry. Has anybody ever asked you to get, give something up and you got mad because they asked you to do it? <laughs> Maybe at work, can you give up your weekend because so-and-so can't make it in? Sometimes we can get angry. We may not get angry in front of the boss, but later on we may 
can't believe they asked me to do that. They asked me to do it last time. I was the one who came through last time they needed that. We can get angry because someone has come and asked us to give something up. We get angry and we retain it. God comes to us and he says, I need you to give this up. We get mad at God. No, I'm not going to. And we hang on to it. We retain that thing. I'm going to keep this thing. I don't care if you said you wanted me to give it up. This is mine. That's one way we can go. Here's the other way we can go. We can get crafty. We get crafty. God says, I want you to give this up. And we begin to think, well, do I really want to give that up? And instead of giving up what he said, we get a little bit crafty about this and we replace it. God says, I want you to give up this one. And we, when we're thinking about it, well, I don't, I don't really want to give up that one, but I'll do this instead. Remember that story? I know I've told it before, but I really loved it when he told, when he told it. Creflo Dollar, when he told about giving away those suits. And you know, God told him to give away, I think it was two suits or something like that. He ended up giving away four suits. And uh, they were ones, he, or older ones, he didn't like them as much. And he gave them those. And then God was dealing with them, and he ended up giving up the two that he wanted. So now he's got six suits. Now he doesn't have, have hardly any suits. And God says, I only told you to give up two. <laughs> but you see, we got crafty. We tried to replace it. Well, God wants these two, but I like those two. I'll give these four instead. That's a better deal. That's not what God had said. When God says, give up a certain thing, we need to give up that certain thing. It's a trust factor. Am I willing to trust God? We get crafty and replace it. I'm going to find some other thing, something else that I can bring in for this thing instead of going this way. Don't get crafty. If God says to do something a certain way, then go ahead and do it that particular way. Don't go after it any other. Here's the third one. We get sad and rationalize it. Like the rich young ruler. You get sad. God asks you to do something. Oh, I didn't think he would ask me to do that. We go to God and say, God, I'm ready to do anything you want. I want you to go to China. Oh. No, it's because everybody's afraid to go to China. That's a, I know if I submit my life to God, he's going to ask me to go to China. Well, probably not. He doesn't need everybody to go to China. He might send some people there. But we get sad. And then we begin to rationalize. Well, I can't believe that God asked me to do that or to give that up. Why did God ask me to do that or to give that up? That wasn't right. And we begin to rationalize and pretty soon it becomes right in our eyes not to do the thing God said. We've rationalized it. We've worked it all through. We found out why God was unjust, why God was unrighteous for doing this sort of thing. And uh, how can he do that? We get sad because I don't want to give that thing up. And we rationalize the way to go. Here's the fourth one. Or be blessed and render it. <laughs> Just give it up. That's the, that's the blessed way. Be blessed and render it. Don't replace it. Don't rationalize it. Don't retain it. Render it. Give it to God. It's, if He asks for it, give it to Him. Now understand, don't take the attitude that, well, all I have, it belongs to Him anyway. That is a wrong attitude. If it belonged to Him, He wouldn't ask you for it. Right? It belongs to you, so therefore He's coming to you and says, I need you to give this up. I need you to relinquish this. I need you to, to give this away, whatever it might be. I have to realize it is mine. God is asking for it. Therefore, will I give it to him? Verse uh, 3. And it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. She apparently comes back 
must have found that some other people had taken over and taken this empty house over. And she had a lot of land there. They were out there working it before. And so she comes back to the king and says, I need to make an appeal because that is my land. It was given to my family. And you know, the, the Israelites were, were big on this. Whatever land they had, even if you sold it, the year of Jubilee was supposed to return all things back to the original owner so that a family would always retain ownership of that property. So this is their property and she wants to retain ownership of this thing. She didn't sell it to anyone. She left it there. Someone else has come in and usurped it and they're fighting for it. They're saying, no, we, we've been here. We've been working this land. We've been doing this for the last two, last three, last four years, whatever time it is. Therefore, it's ours. So she goes before the king. Now, remember, she obeyed God. God came to her or through, through Elisha and said, leave this land. We want to take care of you. We want you to, to be in good shape. So we want you to go over here because there's going to be a famine here. It's going to be real tough for you to make it out here. You could, you could die in a famine. Then a king talked with Gehazi. Remember him? He's a leper. How is a leper in the presence of a king? They're not supposed to be in the presence of people. As far as Israel is concerned, one who, is a, who has leprosy should not be in the presence of a king or, or in the presence of anyone in Israel. Now, he has a leprosy of... of um, how did I just forget? Yes, thank you. And his, his leprosy came upon... But he used to be in a king's presence as well. So it is possible, you know, it's probably not one of the contagious type of leprosy that Naaman had. But whatever it is, you're still not supposed to be in Israel. You're not supposed to be in the city. You're not supposed to be in with the kings. But here Gehazi is, which seems to indicate that very likely he was one of those four because those four lepers probably rose to a high place of prominence in the land because they're the ones who brought about that great salvation, that great deliverance. They were the ones who, who let them, they became alert to it. The hunger stopped. Things came in. So uh, they probably said, all right, you're a leper, but you know what? We can't punish you anymore. We can't push you out in the city. You guys really helped us. If it wasn't for you, we'd still be all held up. And so that would seem to indicate why he was there in the presence of the king. And the king talked with Gehazi and the servant of the man of God saying, tell me please all the great things Elisha has done and now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead life and that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her hand. So here's how it works. God asked her to do something. She gave up her house, her, her land, left, left it behind, didn't sell it, but left it behind because God said to do so. When she comes back, it looks like she lost it. So she says, well, I'll go to the king and I'll make an appeal. Can you imagine if all the people who left the land came to the king and made an appeal? But she gets an audience with this or she comes out in, the, in there and, and just at the same time that the king gets on his mind, Gehazi, come on in here to my presence and I want to hear some things. Tell me some stuff about Elisha. And so he's going through the stories of Elisha. He comes to the story about the woman's son who was dead and was raised in life. And just as he's telling this story, the king is all excited. Wow, what a story. How... How could that? I would love to meet this son. I would love to meet this family. And just that, well, look who's here. Look who has walked into our palace just now. So now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead life, the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. 
So they, imagine the king going up. This is, he was dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was dead. Let me tell you the story. She told him the story, the same story that Gehazi said. He looks at the boy, you were dead? Well, that's what they told me. <laughs> I was out in the field, you know, and I got this headache. I came on in. I was laying on, on mom. And then the next thing I know, Elisha's in the room and everybody's hollering. And <laughs> of course, I'm sure he didn't know what was going on. He may have been um, taken out of, you know, put into Abraham's bosom or something like that. He didn't go to heaven. That wasn't happening at that point. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, so the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, restore all that was hers. So she comes in there, she tells the story, and the king is all excited. He's feeling real, real good about it. This is not a God-fearing king. Why is it a God-fearing, a non-God-fearing king wants to hear stories about the prophet of God? Something came up in him. He's just wandering the hallways and thinking, yeah, I remember that prophet. Elisha was his name. Yeah, I remember some of the things that happened with him. You know, when the, the Syrians had come on by and, and when the... Uh, he's remembering some of the events. He says, uh, Gehazi, you were, you were there. Tell me some of the stories that maybe I don't know about. And that's when he... he went, all this is happening. And then, just as the woman comes into town, just as the woman comes to her property and finds out that other people were there, just as the woman approaches the palace to get an audience with the king, this is all going on. God is working behind the scenes. She doesn't have to get there and pray for all this. God is already working behind the scenes because she was obedient. She didn't have to come in there and take authority over anything, come in there and claim this or that. She just walked in. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her. He didn't just say, yeah, let's do that. He, he got one of his officers and said, you go with her and make sure that everything that was hers is restored. So now these people are giving her a fight about getting out, get a knock on the door by one of the king's officers. And they say, you will leave. But we've been here. We don't care. This is her house. The king has said, you will leave. And they left. Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. So they didn't even have to do any of the work on the field. There wasn't a whole lot coming on it because there was a famine. But they still got the proceeds of seven years. <laughs> Plus they got whatever work they were doing in the seven years they were in the land of the Philistines. And then they come back, they get all their stuff restored and the king now knows them. That's pretty good for being obedient, right? None of that was promised. Elisha never said, when you come back, we'll make sure that it's all restored. When you come back, we'll make sure that you get all the wages that should have been due you for those, those seven years. None of that was promised. All that was promised was, look, there's a famine coming. You need to go any place you want. Just get out of this land. Get away from here. And she obeyed it. Didn't have to be told over and over again. She obeyed it one time. There is... There is power, folks, when we obey the Word of God. And especially when God can just tell us one time to do something and we do it. God took care of arranging all these events. Now, God does not. Sometimes we pray and we think God can change the will of a person. God does not change the will of a person. God does not make people do things. I heard somebody put it this way. Of all the things that God wants people to do, it's accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. If that is the most important thing to him, if that's the thing that he likes the most, wouldn't you think that if he could do it, he would? So if he doesn't do that, why is he going to make them do what you want? He's not. 
all he's going to do is create events that they decide on their own they want to do it. Pharaoh had ten events happen to cause him to get to a place where he decided that what God wanted to do was a good idea. God didn't force him to decide. He just made it very easy to see the benefit of doing that. And that's what he does a lot of times. He just makes it work, work that way so that we can see the, the, the benefit of, there of, of doing the right thing. This is a heathen person. And he puts some things in, in operation for this woman's sake. It's not for the king's sake. It's not for anyone else in the land of Israel. It's only for her concern. When we obey, things like this can happen on our behalf. If I have obeyed the word of God. What has God said to do? God, you told me to do this. You told me to leave this. You told me to start this. You told me to do this. I obeyed. I did. Now you have an open door to work on my behalf to get people who don't even know me, don't even like me, to make decisions for me. And the right line says this, Israel rejoins Joseph with provisions waiting for them. But his childhood was lost. Joseph gave up his childhood. He didn't get to have all that. That didn't come back to him. But he got to be ruler of Egypt. He got to be very rich. He got to be able to help his people out. His, uh, his whole family was saved for that. The during the famine that was coming over the whole world, his family was preserved. It, it did cost him something. He got some other stuff back. He didn't get that particular thing. He didn't get to go back and be young again. Pharaoh gained great wealth for his obedience. He got ready. He owned all of Egypt. What, you, what people used to own, now he owned. He owned it all. When Jesus' family returned, they returned to a place of safety. People were, were gone who, who were seeking their life and things went on pretty well. We need to understand and put the things to work. Don't hold God accountable. God, you told me to do this and now you're not doing it. Don't do that. That's not a good way to go. God, I did what you said to do. I opened the door for you to work on my behalf. I thank you that you're going out there and doing that. Don't get mad because people don't do what you want them to do. Father God, I thank you that you are working right now to make people who don't even know me do things that will benefit me. And they'll be happy about it. That's what God will do. That's what this story is in here to show us. Is that when we obey God and do things that he says to do, even though what he, God said to do, leave and go because the famine's coming, it's for our benefit. But when we obey, even to do the things that are our benefit, it still opens the door up for him to do some more things for our benefit. And he will. This is the kind of God that we serve. He is looking for ways to help us out, to work on our behalf. He's looking for it. This king was so enamored by the story and all that, he says, you know, give her the wages. I, I guess it had to come out of his, his treasury. I don't know where else it was going to come from. So here's some questions for us to, to be asking ourselves. Am I giving what God asked for? What has God asked for and am I giving him that thing? Or am I substituting something else? What is it that God has asked for and am I doing that or am I doing something that is easier? Have I put my own replacement in there? Well, God, I know you asked for this 
but this is actually better. And we do the old salesman thing. Let's sell God on this fact that <laughs> this is actually better. No. Don't, get, don't sell them your own replacement. Using it as a good reason to get out. All right, God, you asked me. I can't believe that you asked me for that. That's, that's it. You haven't appreciated anything I've done for your kingdom because you have asked me for this thing. That's it. I'm not doing it anymore. And we use it. We wanted to get out. This is a, a reason. We feel justified in this. There are people who do it. They feel justified because God asked this particular thing of them. They didn't want to do it. They use it as a good reason to get out. Sometimes we look at things as an investment. Have you ever looked at, at something that you're doing for God as an investment? I had this definition as for that. An investment involves giving up a principle with the intention of getting all of it back with interest or growth. If I take money and invest it into something, I am expecting that money back plus some interest, plus some royalty, something to come back that's, that's better. If I'm going to invest in a business, I expect that business to give me my money back plus some for having used it, right? If you, you look at it as an investment, what you're saying to God is, what I am giving you, I am still holding on to. It's still mine. We have to get more into the area of sacrifice, which is cutting off all claims to the principle with the hope of a return that is greater than but may not include the principle. What that means is this. If I say, if God says, I want you to give $100,000 and I put that $100,000 in, I'm not keeping attached to it. God, you still owe me $100,000 plus interest. I simply give it and God will give me whatever God's going to give me. I have cut it off. That's what we need to look at more. When Abraham left his, his land, he didn't have ties to it. He cut it off. He was leaving the land. So when God has called us to do things, don't look at it as an investment. Look at it as a sacrifice. I am cutting myself off of that. Father God, I have given it to you. It is no longer mine. And I do not have any right to it at all from this point on. That's just a different way of looking at it. But the enemy sometimes wants to get us to look at investing in God. <laughs> Don't make investments in God. Give God things. If you give it to God, God can then give it on, give it back. But don't look at it as an investment because then you still have control of it. Well, God, what are you doing with my $100,000? Give me a report. Let me know how things are going, how things have... No, that's not it. See, it puts us in the wrong position. We need to say, if God asks us for a thing... We give it and we cut it off. We don't invest it. We know that God will bring back a reward. It's okay to know that. It's okay to expect that even. But don't look at whatever it is that you gave. God, I gave away that particular thing. I'm expecting that particular thing back again. No, cut it off. Father God, that's yours. I, you asked me for it. I gave it to you. You needed to, to use it. You needed me to, to sew it. You needed me to get it in involved it so i i did that i got it now you are working on my behalf and what in the world are you bringing them back for me i don't know <laughs> if it's going to be good don't shut god down but here's the thing folks <laughs> once god has asked something of us and we come through it gives him the opportunity to ask for something bigger and sometimes we look at it as god you keep asking for bigger and bigger things and i'm just getting frustrated here why do you keep asking so much for me? And it's not that. It's God said, I, you're giving me an opportunity to, to bless you with so much. 
But don't just look at it as the money. Sometimes God says, I need you to help out this particular person and you've got to give part of yourself to help that person out. Then that person may squander it and may not do anything with it at all and may wander off. And you can go back to God. God, look at all that time I gave. Look at all that stuff I did. Did God ask you for it? Did you do it? Then the results don't make any difference. You see, if it's an investment, the results make a difference. It's not. You, cut it, you, you sacrificed it. You gave it. God, I gave that to you. You asked me to sow into that person. You asked me to do these things in, for, to help this person. I did it. They did nothing with it. But I did it. I thank you, Father, that I obeyed. So I opened the door for you to work on my behalf. And you just sit there and dream about all the things that God's doing. But just get this in mind. This, this story is just so good. As you are going about your business, doing the things that you need to do, God is working before you get there. And just know that he is before you even show up. God is already working on He's already got the Gehazi's in place. He's already got the king asking the questions. He's already got the conversation going. And you come in, oh, is this the person? Is this the son? And you can become in set up just like that. If she had come in on any other day and this conversation was not going on with Gehazi, what's the king do? I can't imagine he's quite as pleased about doing all the things that he did, that he had done. But he was happy to do it. Can you, do you get that from the story? He was happy to do it. He's looking forward. Boy, I can't wait to do this. Here's your stuff. Here's all the wages that you should have had. And here's my, my officer. He's going to go with you and make sure that it all gets taken care of. He was happy to be able to do it. That's how God will do it. He will get people, believer or unbeliever, it makes no difference. He will get people who will work on your behalf who up till then didn't even know you. And they will be happy to work on your behalf. They'll be happy to do it. Father, I thank you that you are working on our behalf. We don't always see what it is that you're doing, but we can know that you are working on our behalf. I thank you that you love us so much that you can bring all these events about so that all these things are happening before we even show up that has made people more willing to give us what we need, to do the things that we need to be done. You're just so great the way that you work on these things. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.